And I know that's not politically palatable if you like the Republicans or the Democrats. I'm equal opportunity hated by both sides. The Democrats think I'm a horrible Republican and the Republicans think I'm a horrible Democrat. The reality is that we got to come together at some point. This polarization is preventing us from doing the duty of the government. The duty of the government is to pay our obligations and to make sure that what we're doing is in line with what we're supposed to be doing. Once more unto the breach, dear friends. Else close the wall up with our English dead. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and welcome back to another exciting episode of The Personal Wealth Coach starring Jake McClure today. Jeff McClure is still off gallivanting, which is a good word that people don't use as much as they should. Uh, it, it, it is fantastic. Why did we get rid of that one? And, uh, and there's a lot of words I think we should bring back, but that's one. We, we deem that word to be a good word. Okay, so what is this program? This program is the Personal Wealth Coach. Uh, we're, I'm here to talk to you about the economy in general, banking, investments. I'm also here to talk about personal finance, should you wish to, although a lot of the recent weeks have been focused on what's happening in the big wide world and specifically in the banking area. Uh, but that's what we're here to talk about, economics and personal finance, how we behave in weird times. But before we do that, before I get started on any of that, I have a bunch of disclosures because what purpose would me talking to you be if I didn't tell you everything I was going to say was in some way unbelievable in advance in a very high-pitched or quickly spoken monotone? Um, it, it would just it would ruin the whole program if we didn't tell you, number one, I'm bald and I'm bearded. I like puns. I like jokes. I'm not a big fan of April Fool's Day, and today is April Fool's Day, and that's not an April Fool's joke. I have never liked April Fool's. That's another disclosure. The name of this program, The Personal Wealth Coach, is also the name of an SEC-registered investment advisory firm. It's not a coincidence. One of the principles of that firm is who is talking to you today. We named the firm after we named the radio program. How's that for you? been doing the radio program a long time. And the firm's been around for a ways, but not as long as a radio program. Uh, again, not coincidental. The firm is an SEC-registered investment advisory firm doing fiduciary duties for our clients to say things that are in their best interest and advice. We do portfolio management and that sort of thing. However, having said that, I can't give investment advice on the air. I'm not going to tell you to buy or to sell anything today because... Uh, that would maybe be inappropriate. I don't know everybody that's listening. Well, maybe I do. Maybe there's three of you out there and I know you all. Or maybe there's nobody listening and it's only me. But even so, it's not private because somebody could be listening. So it can't give fiduciary advice on the air. So what are we doing? Education. We are. I, I am working hard to educate you on the history of finance and what does it mean when things happen why do interest rates have to be so uninteresting even when they're causing bank failures? I'm hopefully going to make them a little bit interesting. So it's education. And having said that the firm is SEC registered, that doesn't mean that the SEC thinks that our firm does anything special. 
Uh, it's just the regulators. And we're required by them to tell you that the firm is registered with them. So that if I say something that could damage you financially or something that's a blatant lie, they're the people to talk to. Generally speaking, when you're listening to a radio program and you hear them say something that's completely incorrect, uh, you don't really have any recourse. Uh, we're we're kind of regulated. Freedom of speech is a little bit regulated when it comes to the financial services world. Okay, so what else do I have to tell you? Well, the information that I'm going to discuss with you come from sources that I deem to be reliable, but we're not guaranteeing it. We're not warranting it or any other name in the thesaurus about uh, giving some kind of word bond guarantee, warranty, or any other. I should get the thesaurus out next time and go through the entire listing uh, to say that we're not doing that on the information. We do deem it to be reliable, getting places from like treasury.gov and the Federal Reserve's direct sources, but that doesn't say that it is. And the last thing is we don't pay for this radio program. This is not a paid commercial program. This truly is an educational program. And the fact that we do it for a living off the air is kind of nice. We do get some benefit from people hearing us on the air. That's not why we're doing it. I, I mean, it helps. It's nice. It's a nice little benefit. But we don't get a whole lot of people coming to us saying, we have $8 million and I heard your episode one time and I want to invest with you. That's not how people make investment decisions. We also don't, while we don't pay for the program, we're also not paid to do the program. We do pay money to KTM, Town Square, for advertisement for the radio program at normal market rates. And they do at least an equal amount. They don't pay normal market rates. For some reason, they discount themselves and they don't require themselves to pay themselves. I don't know why. They should be Congress. But then we'd never be able to pay for Social Security. Yeah, that's an inside joke if you understand bureaucracy. Okay, so those are all the disclosures, or at least all the ones that I can fit into the disclosure portion. We'll be giving you disclosures about everything. And when you talk about banking, um, whether or not it's a disclosure, or it's not a disclosure if you're talking about someone else, I guess. It's a warning or a piece of information. So what happened this week? Um, if you've been following the news much at all, then this week was... A catastrophe and horrible things happened all week long. However, if you look at what happened in the market, uh, you see something else that's weird. The market was up. So the old saying, bull markets climb a wall of worry is true. Uh, it, it's rarely so apt as what we've seen recently for the past several weeks since the failure of Silicon Valley Bank and Signature Bank and Credit Suisse. It, Looking through the newspapers, particularly financial newspapers, mostly doom and gloom. I mean, there are headlines about Dr. Doom, who I don't think likes that name, by the way, Doc, uh, Nuriel Rubini. He's a fantastic guy, but he's known as Dr. Doom, and he's covering the headlines at this point in lots of places. Uh, but what happened in the middle of the market? The news this week has been just as bad as every week in the last few, but the S&P 500, we measure it using the symbol SPX. There's lots of ways to measure the S&P 500. But this is the stock market measurement that we use to say, this is a good number to quote for generalizing the stock market. Okay, it rose 3.48% this week. It's above 4,100. Uh, so the first quarter of 2023 wrapped up this week and we're ahead 7.03% in the SPX year to date and for the quarter. 
It's amazing. Both of the numbers are the same. How did that happen? Uh, the, the index is now 14.71% higher than it was in mid-October of 2022, which we're looking at as the bottom of the market. Uh, we might have another bottom, but that's the one that was definitely the technical indicated bottom of the market. Uh, it is the S&P 500 is only up about 83.66% from the bottom of the pandemic bear market in March of 2020. Yes, I said 83.66%. Really hard to remember that in the middle of the doom and gloom in the newspapers right now and looking back to where we were last year. But we're up right now almost 84% over a three-year period. Yep, that's a little staggering. Um, so the, uh, the one of the other big indexes that we cover is one that isn't covered very often or very f many places. Uh, it's the CRSP US Mid-Cap Value Index. This week it was up 4.52%. It closed at 2317.12. Uh, it's down for the year, a little bit less than 1%, and about 11% from its record high last year. So the S&P 500's down 14.7% from the, the record high. The CRSP mid-cap is down 11% from the record high. They're both up staggeringly large numbers from March of 2020. And the reason why we bring back this, why we give you all these different periods of time to measure from, is because perspective is one of the most important things in the market. If you got into the market in October of last year, you probably don't have a very good opinion about the market. If you got into the market in March of 2020, you probably think that the market can do no wrong. It's perspective. And the longer you've been in the market, consistently in the market, I'm not saying getting in and out at the wrong times, but just being in the market for a long period of time, the easier it is. It doesn't help when you're first getting in, though. The shock of the cold water is a bit mm, shocking. Okay, the benchmark 10-year treasury note ended the week yielding 3.48%. That's pretty close to where it was a week before and the week before that. Uh, it's very, very little movement up and down. The yield curve is inverted. That means that the short-term loans are paying or charging a higher interest rate than the long-term loans. That's backwards. Usually your car loan is at a lower interest than your house loan. Uh, if you've looked lately, that's not the case. It's a little weird, uh, but that's the way it is. So the short-term loans are charging a higher interest rate than the long-term loans. That's backwards, and it's not a good sign for the future of the economy. It makes growing businesses and buying cars and things very, very difficult or more expensive than it, than it generally is. Okay, that's a bad signal in the market. And we've been there for, let me see, the day that we inverted. I will give you that day. We have been inverted since July 5th of 2022. This is getting close to the longest inversion in the yield curve that I can, that I can find at any point in U.S. history. Uh, and I'm going to need to go back and measure that out. But I think we're right at that cusp of saying this is the longest inversion. Why is that even important? I said I was going to try to make interest interesting. <laughs> Good luck, Jake. 
Um, when, when you're a business and you're starting up and you're trying to buy stuff, one of the things about starting up is you generally have less cash than you would if you had a really profitable, profitable business already. So the startup costs are high and some of that is financed. A lot of times, all of it is financed. And if it's financed at a higher interest rate, it's harder to move forward. It's harder to to reach over the hump and actually keep payroll going. You may wind up being really profitable or you might nosedive and collapse, but there's a pretty strong uh, pushback, a current moving against you if interest rates are higher. It limits some of our growth. Okay, Um, and we'll talk more about that later. The price per barrel of West Texas Intermediate Crude, WTI, rose 9.28% this week to $75.62 a a barrel. I want you to, that's 9.28% in one week. What happened? How did oil prices jump up? I thought we had a stable oil market. Well, um, because there was a lawsuit in the Kurdish region of Iraq through Turkey to the Mediterranean. There's a pipeline that goes through this section of the world. And it was closed when the International Chamber of Commerce, yes, they're in charge of this particular lawsuit, found in favor of Iraq. Well, there's three parties in that lawsuit. So they found in favor of Iraq, and Iraq now says, all right, the oil moving through that pipeline belongs to us. Well, everything has to be stopped. They have to dump out a bunch of stuff in that pipeline. They're not really sure how they're going to be loading oil in it anymore. So this region of the world, we said this in the newsletter, which is interesting. Um, Most people in the United States would not be able to find this area on a map. And yet it's caused our oil prices to go up almost 10% in a week. This is one of the other kind of symbols that the economy of the United States is no longer just the economy of the United States. We're in a global market. And the fact that we are pumping as much oil as fast as we can to take up the demand in Europe from what Russia was doing before, all it takes is one area pumping as hard as they can to stop and the oil prices jump back up. We don't have a whole lot of wiggle room in there. Supply and demand are almost exactly matched right now. So one little blip in the market can cause a big response in prices. At some point, we may be able to be producing slightly more than the demand, but that's a danger for the oil companies because they have to sell that excess if the price drops. They don't like that. So that's the market this week. The headlines have been all over the place this week. But the the big one, the Bureau of Economic Analysis of the U.S. Commerce Department, do you hear that? I just displayed my nerdliness. I just said the big headline this week was about the Bureau of Economic Analysis. Yes, you can. You can point your finger at me and say, oh, he's not looking at the same stuff we are. Uh, It doesn't have to do with basketball, although a lot of people have been talking about, you know, algorithmic charting of basketball during March. I I don't, I I guess there's some kind of competition that happens. I don't know. So the big news this week was the Bureau of Economic Analysis announcing that U.S. personal consumer expenditures rose 
0.2% in February. I'm sure you all read that headline. No, probably not. That's probably just me. What that means is that personal income is also on the rise slightly. What is that 0.2%? We're measuring inflation with that. And the Fed's target for inflation is 2% for the year. They would like us to be down at the 2% range. That 0.2% is, this is not exact math when you're coming to dealing with inflation, but just for quick off the cuff on a piece of napkin paper, 0.2 times 12 months, we're talking about 2.4%. It's actually slightly higher than that, about 2.5% when you do the real math, but that's getting really close to the target. All of this doom and gloom about what's happening with inflation, we're still up from where we were pre-pandemic. Don't get me wrong, we haven't gotten rid of what was inflated, but the inflation rate is coming back down to a very healthy level rather than that one that was mind-numbingly disastrous of uh, up in the 7% region. Well, at the same time, the European core inflation rate is at a record high. Yeah, so we're, we're not doing too badly over here. We, we, it's helpful that we don't have a major war going in our continent. Um, <laughs> so inflation is getting tamed. That's a big news. And that's why I kept saying it should be the big headline. But even the Wall Street Journal on their economics section. I'm combing back through it. They aren't covering this well. Um, it's, it's not selling newspapers to say that inflation is being tamed. Bad news sells newspapers. So we're talking about other things. All right, so those are the big things uh, that, that were coming out this week. There's some other stuff. Consumer confidence is up. Uh, it's at 104.2. What does that mean? It's it's high. That's what that means. Uh, it, it's up 4.2% in February. Even This is before the, the banking collapse, so we don't have a number for March. But when confidence is getting higher, it makes it harder to have runs on the bank. And that's one of the dangers out there. Okay. When I'm talking about the future, I'm pretty optimistic. When I'm looking at what's happening today, there's a lot of headwinds. But we're also seeing jobless claims are still on average, well below what they were before the pandemic started. We, we had 198,000 people last week net saying we're, these are initial claims for unemployment. What about all these layoffs that we're seeing in tech and so on? We can talk about that stuff later. The fact that we have such a low level of unemployment claims is because they're getting hired up very quickly from other businesses. That's a sign, and one of the signs that we're in a, in, a reti- in, in a recession would be if unemployment is starting up and up and up and up, and jobless claims is going up and up and up, and we're not seeing that. So it's still a muddled picture out there. The economy is still showing growth. We're still chugging along. Um, it looks like we may be at a, like an annualized 2% rate of growth for the first quarter. That's impressive when all the signs are calling for a recession. So we'll talk more about that later too. A little bit on what we can do to prepare for disaster or any kind of issue in the future, keeping your reserves up, keeping your debts down, maintaining your spending below your income. Those are all important things all the time. They seem to be most important in the downturns, but the reality is they're most important all the time. When things are going well is the time you should be stocking up your reserves. And 
amazingly enough, for most people in the United States, things are going well right now. Regardless of what the headlines are saying and the doom and gloom out there, people's pay, are it's up above inflation. Uh, spending is down a little bit, which means our savings is up a little bit for the last month, which is impressive. We're, we're in the middle of this period where people are expecting horrible things, but at this moment, you are likely in a better place than you were two years ago, as far as your finances go, as far, far as your income goes, because across the board, most people are. So now is a really good time, it's not too late, to start spending less and saving more. Um, socking that money, be, be the ant, not the grasshopper. That is a consistent theme that we have to keep coming back to. It's true all the time. Good times, bad times, it doesn't matter. It's a consistent thing that you can do no matter what. We talked about the debt ceiling and how scary that can be. There's stuff you can do about that. You can call your local rep, the U.S. representative to Congress. Call them. Say, hey, please raise the debt ceiling. If you want to deal with budget, deal with the budget. The budget has been passed and the money has been spent. If you go to a restaurant with a large group of people and you order a lot of food and the bill comes in and you say, I'm sorry, we're not going to pay this. I'm trying to balance the budget. Don't order the food. And Congress is ordering the food. Now, it was the last Congress that ordered this batch of food. And it's this Congress that's left having to pay for it. But that kind of doesn't matter. If you're the CEO of a company and you just took over and the last CEO just signed an obligation to pay the debts, it's the company's obligation, not the CEO. The CEO has to maintain that. It's kind of like if you sign a treaty with a country and the president changes, it shouldn't change the treaty. The treaty is a long-term obligation. The debts of a company are based on the agreements to pay those debts. Congress, if you want to fix the budget, then fix the budget. The way to fix the budget is not to threaten not to pay the debts. You got to pay the debts or we're all really not in a good place. So call your local reps. Say, I'll give you 100% support if you want to cut the budget. But when you've already agreed on the budget, you can't not pay it. That's just... It's in the Constitution, but it's really an ethical driver. It's not like the U.S. Congress is somehow going to go to prison for not obeying the Constitution. The courts might say, no, you have to do it because we are agreed to do this. But then it has to go to the Supreme Court at some point. There's a separation. Of, there's just weird stuff here. Just pay the debt. We have the ability to do it. If you want to use something as leverage, wait till it's time to pass the budget. Use that as the leverage. So that's something we can all do. And that doesn't matter if you're a Democrat or a Republican. It doesn't matter which side of the political spectrum you are. If we don't pay our debt, it means that things are really bad. Uh, it, it is not something that should be polarizing. And right now, it is mostly Republicans that are pushing on not raising the debt ceiling. It's been the Democrats in the past the Democrats shut down the government and the Republicans have shut down the government. We can figure this out, guys. We need to figure this out. And I know we're at a big polarization point, but call your rep, say, I think this is really important. And it'd be nice if you started working on something to fix Social Security, too. These are things that are not being talked about. The Social Security issue is not being talked about politically right now. It's a lot easier to fix today when there's 11 years to go before the trust fund is depleted, then it will be to fix 
when we're three or four years from it, or <laughs> heaven forbid, the year that it's depleted. We can fix it without a lot of pain now. When you start figuring out, oh, let's raise the age at which Social Security can be issued or something. You, you, there's a lot of stuff we can do. There's a lot of possible solutions now. <laughs> they start to narrow down into the future, and that means that the constituents of Congress have to start talking about it. It's important in a major sense. And I realize that there are other really viscerally cool things to look at as indictments of former presidents. And it's, it's really flash in the pan. These are things that the long-term structure of our, our, of our economy is based on some premises like paying our debts and making sure that the obligations we have to our retirees are met. It's important stuff. And the government can do exactly what I'm saying for an individual do, to do. Don't pay out as much as you're getting in. Well, where do you cut it? And that's a big deal. There's not an easy place to cut the budget. And this is why the debate always comes in at the debt ceiling moment rather than in the budget conversation. Because where do you cut that doesn't make you look like some horrible villain to some group of people if you cut? from defense, well, then we're putting ourselves in danger. If you cut from Social Security, well, you're hurting the retirees. If you cut from the highway department, well, then we have potholes. The reality is that we're sustaining our government on spending above revenue, which means that we got to keep borrowing. And if that's an issue, at some point, we have to bring our spending down to our revenue or our revenue up to our spending. That means higher taxes. The good news to Congress Bad news to the rest of us is that for the personal income tax brackets, not corporate, those were lowered with the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act at the end of uh, 2019 or in 2019. So we have corporate taxes dropped, personal income taxes dropped, and that's fantastic. It wasn't permanent for the personal income taxes. And that means in 2026, our taxes are going to go up. That may help us long-term as a country. That revenue could go toward paying some extra stuff. And just from perspective, those of you that are uh, familiar with this concept, there's a big debate about if you lower taxes, you might be able to raise revenue, or if you raise taxes, you might be able to raise revenue. There's a way of looking at that. Arthur Laffer put this forth. Uh, there's the Laffer curve and the point on it. And it if the government is charging 0% taxes, they make 0% revenue. No money comes into the government if they're not charging any taxes. That's an easy no-brainer. If they're charging 100% taxes, also no money comes into the government because nobody goes to work. Just ask the Soviets about that. Over time, government revenue disappears because... Nobody works if 100% of the revenue is taken from them. We pretend to work, they pretend to pay us. That was a statement in the Soviet Union toward the end. I know this. I had family over there right after the, the fall of the Iron Curtain. They stayed for a decade and a half. Uh, so understanding how it works in the, in the, in the sense of 100% taxation doesn't fly. So somewhere in the middle is a sweet point. If you get zero on both ends of this scale, somewhere in the middle is the point where the government gets the best revenue. And you think, well, we'll just find that point and keep it there. Except that the point moves around with the economy. 
when we're in boom times, interest rates are low, uh, technology is coming out fast and furious, new companies are making new things that you need and you want and you can't live without, lots of revenue is being built for the government and they can lower taxes and raise revenue because companies can expand faster and the profit is, is leading to more profit. In a not so good economic condition, raising taxes lowers revenue because if your company's already struggling and the tax bill is higher than it was last year, it can put you under. So the Laffer point moves. It'd be nice if we could just move with the Laffer point, but that's not how taxation works. It does work that way in Texas. The sales tax does that. You you buy things with the money that you have uh, and it's a real-time taxation. Now, if you're uh, an employee of a company and you get a paycheck, taxation is real time for you as well. But if you're the owner of a company, taxation is quarterly and it's estimated for the year. It may be all over the place. So changing the tax rates can have a really negative impact there. It's really cool to think about how do we do this? The Republicans right now, it's been the Democrats in the past. I'm trying to make this as even as possible. There's, it's politics. So it's really easy to make either side look bad. The Republicans right now are saying we need to balance the budget. And it's easy to point out the hypocrisy here because when the Republicans had the House, the Senate, and the presidency, they didn't balance the budget. They spent more. <laughs> when the Democrats did it, they did too. So it's really not a political issue except that right now it's being made a political issue. It's really easy to point at the people in charge. Democrats have the Senate and the presidency, the Republicans have the House, they can point at the other two and say, hey, you guys are being bad. We're going to keep you from doing bad things. But when they're in charge, they did the same bad things. And I know that's not politically palatable if you like the Republicans or the Democrats. I'm equal opportunity hated by both sides. The Democrats think I'm a horrible Republican and the Republicans think I'm a horrible Democrat. The reality is that we got to come together at some point. This polarization is preventing us from doing the duty of the government. The duty of the government is to pay our obligations and to make sure that what we're doing is in line with what we're supposed to be doing. If you'd like to talk to me off the air, uh, we actually give investment advice and portfolio management to people of relatively high net worth. If you'd like to talk to me off the air, you can reach me locally at 254-947-1111. That's, there's voicemail waiting on the weekends, real live people during the week. Uh, or toll-free, should you still have a landline, at 1-800-914-7526. That's 800-914-PLAN. You can go to the webpage, thepersonalwealthcoach.com or tpwc.com. You can read newsletters going back a long way. Sign up for the newsletter. It comes out every Friday. I think it's pretty amazing. You can contact us through the contact form there. You can email me directly at Jake at tpwc.com, uh, jeff at tpwc.com. Um, and you can find our podcasts anywhere podcasts are found. Uh, until next hour, this is The Personal Wealth Coach.